listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 152 of the Testudo Times podcast. We asked in the last show, would it be March Madness or Sadness as we got into both the men's and women's NCAA tournaments? It's, it's a lot more sad than happy. There's a surprise. Although uh, my great colleagues here at Testudo Times got to experience the wonderful city that is Jacksonville, Florida. Thomas, how did you enjoy my second city? It was fun. Um, you know, we didn't get to see like all of it. Jacksonville's a larger place. Um, but it is, it is but the it was size nice of a to, county, in case you didn't yeah, know that. But it was it was nice to go down there, and you know it was it was essentially our spring break trip, um, except it was also a business trip at the same time. So I think we we struck a good balance there. I don't think you would really complain though. You're covering a sport for you know a lot of fun, and you get to go to a place that is slightly warmer than College Park is in the middle of March. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were there were some Maryland fans we ran into there, and the fact that they won a game just it really changed the whole trip i think for everyone well you would have been really really sad if that belmont shot had gone in well actually we all would have just fallen over into the collection parts i guess yeah i think my laptop would have been thrown to the floor i mean scott van pelt said it's on on sports center the night after the game he was like i i don't I, he paused right before he, the buzzer beater the shot was taken and he was like i think his, his daughter said like why would you do that he said, I don't want you to see me die in front of you, which is a very Scott Van Pelt thing to say. I love that. That was, that was, that was pretty funny. Justin also went. Uh, Justin, did you enjoy Jacksonville? I mean, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a fun trip. Weather was nice, which I've heard in a few weeks. It will not be nice because it will be too humid, so that was always good. Food was good, even if the basketball didn't always turn out the best way from Maryland. This it was exciting. Cool. Got to hear John Calipari uh, in press conference where he ragged on one of his players, so that was always good. Well, I mean, didn't Tom Izzo do that and everybody freaked out? No, nah, this was this was different. This was post-game. It's, it was a different thing. Okay. You didn't see any things that would normally be considered, or at least to me, Duval things? You didn't see anything that you'd be like, I'm not going to see this anywhere else? Oh, a uh, bar we went to on Friday after we went to the beach, there was live music in the middle of Country Roads. The singer said, take me home to Duval. And that's beautiful. Elongated it and yelled it into his microphone. That is beautiful. It was a moment. That's, that's my people right there. That's what we do. As, a, as I saw Stephen Godfrey, SB Nation colleague, tweet, in the Nashville airport, someone with a Jag sweatshirt grabbed his nuts and yelled Duval at somebody in the Nashville airport because the AFC South never sleeps. And I tweeted, well, at least the Jaguars still won the offseason Super Bowl, even though they signed Nick Foles. That's, that's what I love in my people in Northeast Florida. It is a place unlike anywhere else on planet Earth, and I have experienced that firsthand. Uh, the basketball that took place there was up and down, we'll say. I mean, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat is the way you would accurately describe the weekend Thomas you go from the high of winning over Belmont even though there were times when I thought Maryland was certainly going to get blown out to the uh, the lows of well Maryland's going to get blown up by LSU wait how the hell are they weeding oh crap they got beaten by a buzzer beater because it's March yeah it was you know it was really 
just wild for those two games to happen within two days of each other. Because I got to be honest, I covered Maryland for two and a half years, and I think I'm only going to remember those two games. I like, don't know about that. I'm going to, mo- mo- like, as far as full games go, just there was so much going on in both games. Well, and, tournament games, and that's different than yeah. I mean, that's just that's just variety Tuesday night game against Nebraska. So yeah, that's the that's the uh, the pitch for March is it's it's just wild. Actually, except and, this year it's only Maryland games that it turned out to be crazy, and UCF Duke. Other than that, they were all kind of boring. The uh, the Iowa game was interesting, and there were there were a couple others that have been close, but for Maryland to have been in two of the like five most interesting games in the first weekend. You know, it, uh, it, it, I think it took some years off our lives trying to write about it. Well, deadline stinks, especially when a game like that is happening. Yeah. Like I, I had the gamer for, you know, Saturday and like, I was, I was pulling for overtime to be honest. Just give me a minute to figure out what the hell I even write. Cause it's either, oh my goodness, they're going to the sweet 16 or like, well, the season's over, and I didn't know which one to write until 1.6 seconds on the clock. If you were going to ask me, I would have told you you had to write, well, the season's over, because I said as soon as LSU got that possession, I'm like, this ball's going in. Maybe See, I was, starting because... to, I was starting to write that, and then Maryland started its comeback. Well, you see, the difference is I'm only talking about the last possession. Like, there was a time after Mark Turgeon got teed up where I'm like, this game's over, and then it kind of slowly happened that they got back into the game. And then they tied it up with the Jalen Smith three. And I went, okay, maybe they're going to overtime. But then as soon as I thought about it for a second, I went, this ball's going in the basket from Tremont Waters. I just knew. And then when it ended, I was like, you know what? It hurts less that I prepared for this in advance. I mean, it still hurts a lot, but it hurts a tiny bit less. Maybe that's because I'm so jaded by sports at this point that it doesn't surprise me that that would happen to Maryland. But maybe, Thomas, I think it's because, you know, it didn't happen against Belmont. I'm like, Maryland can't ride its luck two straight games in a row, right? I think it's part that, and I think it's part, like, you respect the fight that they even had to be in that position because they were outclassed for the majority of the game. Both games. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that they already won – and you don't have to worry about the whole one and done in the postseason forever thing. Like, it, you know, that takes some of the sting out of it. They got as far as the seeding would suggest they would get. Um, and they were, you know, inches away from, you know, really, really changing the whole narrative of the, of the season. Um, and so I think when, when, when it happens in the second game, it's, I guess, almost easier to feel like, sympathy or empathy for them if that if that makes sense well let's go into what this ends up meaning they finished as a six seed they won one game in the ncaa tournament if you had told us on election day as you were going to cover the delaware game you would have probably said you know what that's not a terrible season obviously when you go through the ups and downs particularly after the loss in nebraska the big 10 tournament you know the narrative changes of course but i wouldn't say this is a successful season but it's a program is back on track season if you look at it objectively, and it's hard to look at Maryland seasons objectively because of all that comes with this program, right? Particularly what Maryland fans think Maryland should be. And so you look at these games, and I'll go to Thomas first, then I'll go to Justin on this, and 
they both played out almost identically. Maryland was not good in the first half. They started a little bit, you know, iffy in both games in the way that Maryland often starts slow, but then they played their two best second halves of the season. One game, they did enough to win, and the other, they did just below what was necessary to force overtime. So it's kind of funny how the two March games are kind of emblematic of the entire Maryland season, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, the fun part. You know, I, I already had it pre-written that, like, you know, a slow first half ended up dooming the season. Like, of course, that would be so fitting. Um, and then they made the second half run, which they've done a lot of this season. It was, I think, just for the season as a whole, yeah, you would have probably taken it because, they you know, they weren't ranked preseason. They weren't, you know, they had some upside, but we weren't really sure what it was, and they were coming off missing the tournament. So I think, too... To win 23 games, to win a game of the tournament, to get a six seed, I think all of those things people would have taken. Now, during the season, you saw what the team, like when it played its best, was capable of, and it was obviously a level above even that. So it's, you know, it, it, it's fine to be disappointed to some degree. Um, but I think it is it is the kind of season that, with such a young team, you should be able to build on. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll look back on this season, hopefully, and think that it was the start of something. Mm -hmm. And Justin, I, for me, I think, not only is it kind of ironic when you look back at it, like the, the two games that Maryland played in the tournament were almost identical and were basically the story of Maryland's best games this season because you look at Purdue, you look at Indiana, you look at some of these great games, Minnesota the first game, which this game was the second game really reminded me of. It's just how they started slowly. Anthony Cowan was frustrated. Bruno Fernando got a little bit frustrated defensively. And then in the second half, a switch was flipped. And then you saw what they were capable of. But because they dug such a big hole in the first half, those second halves were just enough to get them back in the game against Belmont. It was just enough to get them to win. And in LSU, it wasn't quite enough. It seems like those two tournament games, if you wanted a, a good encapsulation of what 2018-19 Maryland basketball was, you'd watch the two tournament games. And maybe that's fitting if we're going to look back on this season. The two games that stand out most in our minds are the two games that are most emblematic of the season. Yeah, I think, like you and Thomas have both said, like, like I, I tweeted this during the Belmont game, that if you really thought Maryland was going to, you know, win going away or win easily, then you haven't watched a lot of Maryland basketball for maybe the past four or five years for whatever reason it's been a team that you know get takes a little bit to get into the game had never really had a ton of halves where it would affect them for the most part you could say nebraska and penn state were the only two but it i mean as much as you can say teams get better in the tournament or teams get better as they get you know towards the end of the season towards the postseason they don't do a ton of things different and Maryland was kind of the same way obviously LSU the switch to the 2-3 was more at a desperation and the fact that LSU was not a great shooting team until they were at the very end so and also like Thomas said you know this is a season kind of like a program reset you know last year was disappointing for a multitude of reasons whether it's injuries not being able to execute just not having a good enough team and now you really as much as fans don't want to say and as much as it is, you know, maybe a little bit of a concern that took Mark Turge until year eight to really find a good 
base to build upon. I think it is a group that, you know, people should be excited about because it would have been different if, you know, Maryland, you know, never figured out in the second half, lost by 20. The heat on Turgeon is still on. You know, people are wondering, will this team ever flip a switch? Whereas now, you know, you lose with a second left that can, you know, motivate players, you know, heading into the off season, you know, make them more comfortable. They know it takes to win a postseason game, really know how much it hurts and just really kind of build off it and use it as fuel. Well, you would think that, and especially because this is a group of Maryland players that's pretty much all going to return, and we'll get to that in a second. And Thomas, as I said, both of these games being so similar, you saw Anthony Cowan be frustrated. This was a frustrating season for him, and I want to get to that in a second. But he made shots when he had to. You saw the freshmen make big plays when they were required. And then the two biggest players for Maryland were Bruno Fernando, who played big when he had to, and Jalen Smith, who probably had his two best games in the tournament. We have a bigger Jalen Smith discussion to have in a second. So for you, in terms of just the standout, just the players and the moments that they had, I think we're all going to remember, you know, Jalen Smith eliminating Dylan Windler, even though he had 30-plus points and even though everybody – who's watched Maryland basketball, was like, oh, that kind of player, white 6'7 guy who could shoot threes, he's going to kill Maryland, and he did. But Jalen Smith eliminated him still anyway from society, so I'm sorry, Dylan Windler. Even if you get to the NBA, you'll still have to live with that the rest of your life. But it's, it's funny because the players that needed to play big for Maryland did, and probably the biggest star of the games besides those two was Daryl Morsell. But I want to focus first, Thomas, on just, you know, just the overall – the, just the individual players and how they, they coalesce together. I think first, let's go for Anthony Cowan. Sorry for making this a bit roundabout of a question, but Cowan looked really frustrated in both games. He made shots when he had to, but this is not the Anthony Cowan we thought we were going to see. And you wonder what this team's ceiling would have been if we saw what we think Anthony Cowan's capable of. But he did enough to get Maryland back in the games. And when he had to play big, he did. But his play is in many ways the encapsulation of Maryland season two. Really frustrating, but a really high ceiling still. Yeah, I mean, I think Callen, he played the first game like he was in his own head. He had those he moments went, this year where he looked like he was in his own head, and we didn't see that the first two years. And when we did, it was because, oh, no one's helping me. You know, this year he had help, and he still played sometimes like he was in his own head. But then when he was at his best, he was hitting crazy shots, you know, the no offense in Anthony Cowan prayer set. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, that they didn't have to run that's, you know, they didn't run that set often. And when they did, it, it didn't work because Callen was just, he's been off for a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, three of 18 in the first game and they still won. He started really slow in the second game, hit some big threes late. Um, you know, in the second half, hit three pointers and free throws that really helped jumpstart, you know, their sort of climb back into that game. Um, and so it was an up and down tournament. I mean, obviously, he would tell you that he was very disappointed with how he played, and you know he holds himself to high standards. And he's going to use this as fuel the whole off season, the same way he used missing the tournament last year as fuel uh, going into this year. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what you know what he works on in the off season and what kind of player he comes back as. That's going to be. Probably, I wouldn't say the number one story for Maryland next year, but it's going to be close to it. And I'll let Justin start on the uh, the Jalen Smith talk because we've seen Jalen Smith at his best play really, really well and dominate games, but he played his best two games of the season in the tournament. He was huge in 
particularly Belmont, but also against LSU when he needed to play well, when he needed to stand up, he did. And that's the Jalen Smith many of us thought we were going to see at the start of the year, but again, was inconsistent. Sometimes he'd be invisible. Other times he'd need the criticism from Dan Dockich to motivate him. And then at his best, you saw what he's capable of and why people thought he could be a lottery pick in this year's draft. And we'll get to that in a second. So what did you think of Jalen Smith's uh, performance in this tournament? I think for me, it was more of just kind of the culmination of, you know, everything he'd, you know, kind of been working on and been through, like you say, you know, the inconsistency disappearing, you know, extra, you know, he had been going through these extra lifts, getting, you know, banged up more in practice, just preparing for that physicality. And I think it really just kind of paid off, you know, Belmont, really carried the team down the stretch was a force on the offensive glass and the LSU team that, you know, was known for, you know, Nasri, Bigby Williams too, you know, big Bruno Fernando size guys in the middle and Maryland basically held their own because of Smith's, you know, he had five blocks in that game. So he really helped control the pain and then, you know, hits the huge, hits the huge three that ties the game. He had, he had missed on his previous four, but the funny thing is as good as he was, like Thomas said about Cowan, I really don't think he's going to remember it. I mean, he was inconsolable after the game. You tell even after the cooling off period in the locker room was, he was still hit pretty hard. He, even when his teammates tried to say, you know, it's not his fault, it still seemed like he was blaming himself for what happened. So as much as, you know, you could say it will give him a lot of confidence, maybe, you know, turn NBA scouts onto him. I don't think he's going to take that away. And as for his future, I mean, I don't know. I think you saw the upside in the last two games. I think, you know, where he could get drafted, a team may not be encouraged to just because of that consistency. And do they really want to stash him on the bench for a year or two for him to develop or to come back to Maryland where he'd be more of a focal point for the offense this year and be able to showcase more of his skills? We will get to that in a second because that is probably the biggest question we have to ask in the next couple of months. Um, Thomas, if this was the last we saw of Bruno Fernando in a Maryland jersey, and I think sadly it is going to be, he, he did Bruno Fernando things when he had to. And, I mean, again, there were times when he got doubled and he got frustrated, kind of like Maryland does in period. But, boy, when he's on, he's so good. And that's, that was, that's a player we're going to remember for a long time as Maryland fans and as people who covered the team because there's just not been anybody who plays like him, right? And it's infectious. When he plays well and he gets going, I mean, there's nothing like, like there, the Maryland fans were the loudest when Bruno Fernando did something big. And there were a good number. There weren't a ton, but there were a good number of them. And when Bruno Fernando got going, it seems like he would start that run for Maryland, right? That's what, that's what the story ends up being, yeah? And it's going to be a shame when he's gone because that's something that you just can't really replace. No, I agree. And I mean, I think the, the energy that he brought to everything is going to be really as hard to replace as, you know, everything he could do on the court, and he could do a lot. You know, I think rebounding was probably his most consistent plus all year, and in the tournament he had 28 rebounds in two games. That's the most rebounds any Maryland players had in the tournament since uh, I don't remember if it was Lonnie Baxter or Chris Wilcox. I think it was Baxter, but it was from 2002 when they played six games and won a title. 
and Fernando had 13 in one game and 15 in the next, and he had two double-doubles when Maryland needed every ounce of what he had. And it was just really an incredible season. I mean, that's it's one of those he comes back and everyone says, okay, you know, he will have improved. And then he just improved in every way that you can. And that's, you know, it's really the sort of the selling point for, you know, coming back and testing the waters and learning what you have to work on and then coming back and doing that and getting better at all those things and having it translate to individual success, team success, and a better draft placement in the coming year. That's our Jalen Smith discussion, and we'll get there in just a second. I do want to say hat tip to Daryl Morsell, who was the underrated hero of this tournament for Maryland, not just defensively, but offensively. He was doing things I thought Anthony Cowan was going to do, with slashing to the basket, drawing contact. You know, Daryl Morsell, we came in wondering, well, is he going to be able to shoot? We knew he could defend, and he had some great games defensively this year, but those probably were his two best games as a Maryland player, and he, again, only stands to get better next year, right? Like, he's the player that stood out to most for me of the games, even of both Cowan, Fernando, and Smith, because those are the stars, but of the rest of them, Darren Morsell had a really good tournament, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I Morsell on offense has gotten a lot better throughout the course of the season. Um, his three-point shooting was so much better in conference play than it was out of conference. Um, I still think, I, I must have said it on this podcast, I've, like, said it to to friends last year I said I believe by Morsell's junior year he'll be like an average three-point shooter and he's definitely on his way to it and all the other pieces are there he's you know a lockdown perimeter defender even though you know a guy like Windler can still shoot over well, him and get hot he was but... making crazy shots you know that happens in the tournament right if they played yeah, Wofford, Fletcher McGee would have the... still made shots it's like sometimes you can't do anything about it like, he's not going to always have halves like when he took Carson Edwards away. You know, those don't happen. Especially the tournament, those don't happen. But still, when he needed to make big plays defensively, particularly at the like the force in the zone in the 2-3 against LSU in the second half, Marcel was the guy keying that. And for Mark Turgeon, who bases his teams on playing defense, to have somebody like him who can do that is so key. And he took a stump this year defensively, too. And again... He only stands to get better next year. Yeah, absolutely. I it was also nice to see Aaron Wiggins have a good second game in the tournament. Imagine he, if he can he struggled in the first game shooting next year as we've seen him in the flashes, right? Wiggins, I, I think, is going to be a much more focal point of the offense next year. Um, he can do a lot of things more than just shoot and. He saw it some early in the season. Like, he can defend, he can rebound, um, he can pass a little bit, but when he's on as a scorer, he's he can be lethal. Yep. I did want to say Aaron Wiggins, so I want to get Justin in. Is there anybody else in the in the terms of these games? I think we didn't see the best of Eric Ayala, but he still, when he needed to make some plays, he did. I think the other player outside of the top four I mentioned was Aaron Wiggins. And I think, again, another player who, if you take a leap next year, Maryland right now might, you, you think coming in next year, maybe aside from Jalen Smith, doesn't have a star. Aaron Wiggins could be the star next year if he develops into the shooter. Like, I'm not saying he could be like Kevin Herter as a shooter, but, you know, if he could end up being that guy who hits the shot, remember when he would hit the shots to either end a run or key a run, 
right? Those would do the Aaron Wiggins moments. You know what I mean? These are the kind of things that maybe help him develop into the kind of a star next year, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Wiggins, the upside is there. I mean, you can see it. He's obviously very comfortable shooting outside. And, I mean, we're talking about trying to make this leap as a shooter. He still shot 41% this past year, obviously not the volume that Herder did last year. But that's a really, really good start to your college career, shooting that good, shooting that well from three-point range. You can see he wanted to drive a little, maybe needs to work. Kind of a falling-away jumper, I think, defensively is probably where he'll need to make the um, – the biggest steps forward is inconsistent there and didn't really seem to be a great defender this year. But I think another guy, obviously, to watch, I don't know, his minutes are going to make next year. I mean, a guy like, you know, people talk about how young Ricky Lindo was all, you know, this year, still gave Maryland some good minutes off the bench by necessity. But I think a full year in the, you know, strength program, you know, getting stronger, you know, continuing to have that aggressiveness, that fight while still, you know, working on your offense, be able to create your own shot. I think, you know, depending on what happens with Bruno Fernando, I think is going to go to the NBA and with Jalen Smith, I think there could be a big opportunity for him next year to make an impact. Maybe not be, you know, a guy that's going to step up besides Cowan and become another scorer, but, you know, maybe another Daryl Morsell type player that teams need to be successful. So let's go now into the Mark Turgeon discussion, which we have to, because he was coming in with a pretty hot seat, and I don't think he leaves the tournament with his seat any cooler. I think Maryland fans' opinions of Mark Turgeon are pretty much set in stone at this point. I think some of it's still cartoonish. He's not a bad coach, but I can understand why Maryland fans would want somebody differently. And again, it also comes with what do you think Maryland is as a program? What kind of ceiling do you think the program has? And that's a discussion for another time. You got to give him credit, Thomas, for the way his teams came out in the second half of both of these games, particularly even if going to a 2-3 zone was a desperation move, it got Maryland almost to win the game against LSU, and it worked. Don't know why he doesn't do it more often. But then you could also charge him with his teams offensively go into major slumps. Sometimes they just start poorly, and you see the frustrating offense where nothing happens, and then it's a prayer and it misses, and that always seems to happen with Maryland teams, the turnovers, the not forcing turnovers, the things like this. But for Turgeon, I think he probably got out of this tournament status quo antebellum, to use a history and a military term, which means he's probably back at the same place he was. Getting a win in the tournament relieves some pressure on him. Again, he's not, he wasn't going to be fired this offseason anyway. It just was highly unlikely considering the situation he's in. But for him, I mean... He had his moments, ups and downs, like the rest of the team does. And so where do you stand, Thomas, on Mark Turgeon? And I guess we have to talk about his future, because Maryland fans always do. That's kind of where I stand, and it's where I stood at the beginning of the season. And I think it's where most Maryland fans, who are not cartoonishly opposed to him, are going to stand. I think if he had lost to Belmont, it would have been an interesting thought exercise. It would have been a possibility that you know the the outrage and the uproar would have bubbled up to the point that Maryland felt like it really had to do something getting the win over Belmont he like he won't be fired um but at the same time you know there 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 is pressure to to build on this because you know this is only 
the third time in eight years he's won a tournament game and fourth time in eight years he's made it. Um, he's still only been to one Sweet 16 at Maryland in eight years. And, you know, with, with the core that he has in place, you you kind of need to see him improve on this. And so, you know, the, the bar is higher for next year, and I think it's realistic to expect a lot of things. But I think he definitely helped himself a little bit in the tournament, I think. I think um, by helping yourself, you mean he got the dogs off his back, at least temporarily. Cause he got he got a lot of dogs off his back, and I think the way that they played in the second game, you know, at, you know, the adjustment that he made even after the technical, which you know, kind of double-edged sword there, it definitely energized his team, and it also cost him two points, and they lost by two. True, um, Justin, I want you to to talk about Turgeon because he's been around forever, and again, it depends on as a Maryland fan, what do you think this program is? Do you think it is? you know, somebody that is truly a blue blood that should be competing at the highest level every year, which I don't think many people think about, but we still think 2002 and Maryland fans still think that that should be what this team aims for. And it might not be what it is now. However, there is reason to suggest, you know what? He should have made more than one sweet 16. And there have been a lot of things that have been out of his control. He's had some really awful seasons at the start of his tenure and only really one bad season in the middle. He's made the tournament four out of the last five years. That's not bad for any program, but obviously the ceiling many people think should be higher. And I can tend to agree with them, but for how young this team was, I think he did about as well as you could have reasonably asked him to. I don't think they would have had a prayer to beat Michigan state if they got there, even though the game's in Washington. So it's male how he builds on this because the, almost the entire group of this team returns next year. And so you made the second round this year. The logical step is the second weekend. And that, I think, for many Maryland fans, is going to be the bare minimum next year. Yeah, I think, you know, there was talk more so in January and February when this team, you know, appeared to be playing better that, you know, if the cards fall the right way, you know, they could make a deep run. That obviously didn't happen. They kind of performed, you know, they would probably expect this team to do it at the beginning of the season. There wasn't a ton of expectation. I think that is my, you know, biggest question heading into next year is, you know, say Bruno Fernando is the only one that leaves, you know, they can't have this kind of chip on their shoulder, you know, program reset year. It's a group with, you know, expectations. And, you know, I think, you know, Turgeon in his eight years here, you know, has only had one, team that's really had you know big expectations on him you know some people will you know criticize him for that saying you know there should be you know teams that he should have had more teams that fans have expected more out of but that's a whole different thing well, so I, you were mention, I do like, think that team that people expected to do better than it did which i still think that season was a fine season all things considered yeah but yeah the sweet 16 year in 2015-16 so that's the thing i'm most interested in is i think this team or the group coming back seems to be a little bit more together than that one that team you know I remember reading stuff you know during that year it was kind of this pressure of you know we're only going to be here for one year we got to make the most of it so I think this team is set up to you know be more cohesive be better and I still think it's going to be interesting you know this year you know there was pressure because people were expecting a tournament appearance but that's different than people saying, you know, if Jalen Smith comes back, you're probably looking at a, a top 15 team, you know, to start the year. And 
people, you know, hyping it up as more of a known entity than they were going into this season. I don't know how high they could be ranked, Thomas, but the, the thing is, if, the, if Bruno Fernando leaves, and I think we all think he's going to, I cannot imagine him staying for another year. Even if he's not a lottery pick, he's going to be a first-round pick. I think most people would agree on that. I've, I've read some of the draft experts suggesting that. So he's probably going to leave. Jalen Smith is the other question, and if you ask me right now, I would say it's probably 51-49 that he stays, because if he takes a Bruno Fernando leap, then that's a massive step forward for him, and every team could want a fully-fledged, you know, Jalen Smith. I mean, Matt Allentuck, our friend, always tweets about, you know, I hope the NBA scouts don't figure out who Jalen Smith is, because then he comes back for another year. He's going to go to the Combine. He's probably going to get told similar things, I think, to what Bruno Fernando was told. And if that happens and he sees what his teammate this year was able to do with that second year, I think it probably behooves Jalen Smith to come back. It certainly would be great for Maryland if he came back because a fully-fledged Jalen Smith next year could be a star. But there is still that open question, like, you know, is some team going to like him so much that they'll take him in the first round? And then that's an offer you can't refuse. We don't know how that works. And last year, of course, we thought Bruno Fernando was certainly gone. We thought Kevin Herter was going to come back, and the opposite happened. I, I would definitely say it's better chance than 51-49 that he stays. But I do think it he'll probably end up declaring and at least testing the waters. I don't know why um, you wouldn't do that if, if he was – if I was in his shoes. Yeah, I mean, really the – the only reason not to is that you can only declare twice. And so if theoretically, you know, you wanted, if, if you were going to declare this year and then you felt like you still weren't ready after your sophomore year, then you couldn't test the waters again. So that, I mean, that's really the only argument against it. And I think he's probably, he has seemed for a while to be on the Bruno Fernando track of two years. Um, but yeah, like he showed a lot in in the tournament i think if he comes back he'll have a chance to show so much more and that that consistency he would be the guy probably next more, year more than in front court next year with fernando gone because this was bruno's team let's be honest but it'll be jalen smith's teams next year if he comes back yeah and you know he's he's just got an he's got a really interesting game in that you know he is still pretty thin um he's not as thin as he was when he came in but Teams like LSU still were able to, you know, they had a pretty clear advantage on him inside. And so when when that's the case, he's able to step outside and hit some perimeter shots and mid-range shots. And he he still had his own on the boards, and he swatted five shots on the other end. So, you know, he showed a lot both ways, especially in the tournament. I think most of what I've heard suggests that he's at least leaning toward coming back but you know he'll my i would still expect him to at least test the waters and we'll see where what happens from there so when you add all that up you say next year if we assume bruno fernando leaves and i would put that a very good chance he does and let's say jalen smith come back for argument's sake next year when you add the mitchell twins and uh, dante scott as the three freshmen maryland could be at 11 deep team in theory because of all the minutes they gave to the young players this year and as I said, I don't know necessarily, Thomas, that this team's going to have a star unless someone develops into a star. I mean, I wouldn't be able to say that definitively going into the season. But this could be the deepest team Mark George has ever had in Maryland, if that's the case, right? And then 
you have the players who could develop in the stars, Jalen Smith being one. So that's why I think the ceiling for many Maryland fans is going to be pretty high next year because they're going to be really, really deep. And you've got a senior Anthony Cowan who's going to be motivated. He always finds a way to motivate himself. And, again, I don't know what the Big Ten's going to look like. It's hard to project, and we're still in March, and some of the best Big Ten teams obviously are still in the tournament. The three best teams in the Big Ten are still in the tournament. So we, we don't know where that would come there. But next year, that would lead credence to, okay, you got to make at least a Switch 16 maybe do better because they've got the depth, and they've got the depth that now has experience to go out and do what we think they can do. Yes, I mean, as far as, like, preseason rankings, I would – probably expect top 15 with that roster um and i think a lot of it just as far as how the season goes out is on cowan because you know you're, we're saying maryland wouldn't have a star cowan was second team all big 10 this year and he would be entering his senior year i know he you know he's been kind of inconsistent but when he's on he's as as good as anything maryland has like cowan's best games were arguably better than fernando's best games this year um so to have him and Smith and so many guys like Morcell and Wiggins and Ayala who can take that next step forward themselves, plus I think the guys that they're bringing in are have the skill set that kind of Maryland needed this year. Like they needed a little bit more from the bigs. And also this like we, we haven't even mentioned Sorrell Smith and Ricky Lindo, who got so much better during this season. So I mean that's you know, the kind of thing we're, we're looking at a team that, yeah, it would be 10, 11 deep. And, you know, Maryland just hasn't really had that. That was going to be, in, that's the insane thought next year is like, even if you don't have a star, the depth like Florida State has, give you an example, like that's a really deep team. That can get you places, even if you don't have a star. And that's where I think many Maryland fans are going to be excited about that the next year. Justin, what do, what do you think about that? Because you look at the roster and you think, well, you lose Fernando, but the only other guy you lose is even Bender, and he didn't play all that much. And the guys you're bringing in are guys who you could ask to do things but won't be relied upon the same way Maryland's had to rely upon freshmen the last couple of years. That's the good combination. That's a combination Maryland hasn't had in three or four years. Yeah, I think like Thomas said, I mean, if you bring Jalen Smith back, it is the potential to go 10-11 deep, which who knows what they would, but it's great to have those uh, options and even if you know say Jalen Smith has a you know test the waters has a great you know just great in workouts and decides not to return you know obviously the expectations are you know lower but it's still it's not like it's not a team to you know build off of I think you know with the guys they bring in Mark Turgeon has taken you know teams to NCAA tournaments with more unbalanced roster so even if they do lose the two bigs there still is something there I think you'd have to try to have a more defined role for Anthony Cowan I think you know going back between on and off the ball didn't really help him but then again I mean you've had teams you know teams Melotrimble's freshman and junior year really had nothing down low and they went to the NCAA tournament I think you know the team coming back next year with Cowan guys like Wiggins and Ayala there's more there'd be more weapons there for him so I think still, you know, even if Maryland loses more than Bruno Fernando in the offseason, there's still, you know, you know, it still should be, you know, positive thoughts going in for a potentially good year. There are next obviously year. transfers, things could happen, but I think that's where most people are going to leave Maryland basketball heading into a 
really potentially good year in 2019-20. We will see how, of course, it plays out. There is a lot to get to. And, of course, stay here for all your coverage on Bruno Fernando and Jalen Smith and the draft and things of that nature. We will, of course, cover that as the stories do progress. As I said, I think Fernando's going to leave and Smith is going to stay, but that's just a guess right now, and that could obviously change later on. Now we got to get to the women, who I was not expecting Thomas to have to say the same thing I would say about the men, but that's three times in the last four years they've gone out in the second round. Last year was somewhat excusable, considering the depth things that they had, but this is the second time in four years. A lower-seeded, what you think wouldn't be a great Pac-12 team, came in and beat Maryland on their home floor in the second round. That's a sour taste going out. Yeah, and the third time in four years it was a lower-seeded Pac-12 team period because yeah, the other true, time Oregon, was in Bridgeport. Yeah. Well, that, that yeah, I mean, Sabrina so Ionescu, gotta... let, let's be honest. Before we before we get into saying that, I mean, Sabrina Ionescu was insanely yist of insane. Yeah, and that tournament was her breakout, and the 2016 tournament turned Kelsey out to be Plum. Kelsey Plum's breakout. And honestly, I have no idea what to expect from Michaela Anyamware going going forward here. <laughs> Well, but I guess we now have to pay attention. She, yeah, I mean, she put up 30 points against Maryland. Like, that's not that's not easy to put up in a college basketball game. On the road in the NCAA tournament and your UCLA in Maryland. Yeah, I mean, their whole top three just really, really balled out in that game. And And Maryland scored nine points in the fourth quarter. That's just, that's not getting it done. Well, also, I think they made one three in the game. Yeah, they were 1 of 13, and then they were 15 of 25 from the line, and they gave up 27 offensive boards. And so that's how you lose a game to a game. That's how you lose a game when you're better than the other team. That's that's the thing. Like, I don't expect a Brenda Freeze team to beat themselves like that. Like, sometimes when you're playing Megan Gustafson, okay, you know, that happens, right? But if you're playing against, you know, a team that I don't know whether necessarily Maryland's better than UCLA, clearly they weren't a couple nights ago. But Maryland just should have been better. They've got shooters. They've got a team that always rebounds the basketball really well. And then they didn't do those things, and it cost them. And it's fine margins that cost you in the NCAA tournament. And it's fine margins that's cost them three last four years. And I don't think you're going to go in with a sour taste because they still won another Big Ten regular season title. You know, nearly won the Big Ten again. They're still really good. And next year they've got an insane amount of good freshmen coming in. And Bree Frazier's the only senior on this team. So it's not as if, you know, this is the end of something, it's the beginning of something, but it's still kind of frustrating, right? It's definitely frustrating. I mean, I think the for me a part of it, and I don't I don't know how much of this even even was the players. I didn't feel like asking them would have done anything, but a win there and you get to play UConn. And you know, UConn is, you know, they're a two seed this year. They're still like a lot of people's tournament favorites and they're really, really good and it's not going to be easy to play them in Albany. But, you know, I think that's a game that, you know, Maryland kind of deserved a chance to, to get that exposure, play on that good of a stage and take that, take on that kind of challenge. And for the second time in three years, they've lost one game before getting that opportunity. Um, th- I think that's a lot of, for, for fans at least, a lot of the the frustration in that that was a good crowd on monday night too it was pretty good um you know it, very maryland crowd because it I might be a somewhat bad call there was booze everywhere yeah i might have been a little thrown off because you know we're, we're right on the court uh 
during the tournament, and so all the noise kind of comes down at me. But it sounded like it on TV. It was it, it was loud. loud. Yeah, it was it was pretty loud. It wasn't, you know, like it probably wasn't the biggest. It might have been the biggest crowd of the year. I've seen bigger crowds for. Well, women's games. I mean, I, if I'm talking about a women's but, game that for Maryland, when they had UConn come in and the whole building was sold out, I mean, you're not yeah, I mean that's that the only sellout that you're going to get. But I mean, even then, like, I think that know, they had. Listen, there are a lot of great atmospheres in women's college basketball. Like you watched them all in the tournament. Maryland doesn't get that because they play in such a huge gym. So a, what's a good crowd doesn't seem like a great crowd because it's a big gym. But that still sounded like a really good crowd in that game and they were trying, they were trying to push Maryland over and it just didn't quite work. And it's frustrating because it's like, I don't know whether Maryland would have beaten UConn, probably not, but having them play UConn in a game like that would have been really helpful for all the players that are coming back, you know, cause that would have been like a huge amount of motivation to be like, we can be that next year. They don't have that. And I don't know how much it's going to matter. Tune in in a year to find out, but Maybe that's where we're left with the most sour taste is we don't know if Maryland could have competed on that level. And next year they're going to be expected to compete on that level. I think that, I think that's fair. I mean, the post game, you know, it was a lot more heads held high than I was thinking. Well, because you think they had all kind of depressing buzzer beater loss two days earlier. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is everyone knows that they're going to be back and they're going to be better. And, and I think legitimately they, they probably just felt like they didn't deserve to win that game the way they played as, you know, as much as it stings, they're just like, yeah, no, we weren't good enough time to go to work. And the group that goes to work is going to be, it's going to be a lot better. One, one of the things Maryland just didn't really have this year was a star point guard. And they haven't had that the last two years. You know, Shanice Lewis is the only sort of traditional point guard they've had, but she doesn't start. The big two um, stars are like two threes, like, Kyla Charles is amazing, and Taylor Mikesell, you've heard because you've watched the Maryland basketball game about how much she shoots. She didn't shoot well in this game. They're stars, and then you give them a point guard. How about one of the best backcourts in the country, if you could yeah, get yeah, the, with those two? Yeah, the number one point guard recruit in the country, just slide her right in there. That's like if you could order something like a prescription for this year's team, it would be that. You're not wrong. And and the other thing is Megan Gustafson is a senior. So Maryland will not have to deal with her next year. Yeah, I haven't even looked at, at the rest of the Big Ten. It was kind of up and down this year. I think a lot of the better, better players were seniors as well. So well, Here's the other thing for this year in the tournament. Maryland was not the only three seed to screw up at home. Iowa State and Syracuse also lost. So it's not as if this year it was Maryland's the only one. And last year, the only three seed to make it was UCLA. Isn't that funny? I mean, like UCLA for being a six seed, you know, they have made it to four straight Sweet 16s. This is not a slouch of a program, you know. No, not at all. So, I mean, it, 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 it stinks and it hurts, but I don't think we reasonably expected Maryland to beat UConn. But, you know, you would have liked to have seen them get that chance. And I think that's what most of us would have liked to have seen, and we aren't going to see that. But this definitely feels like the beginning of something for Maryland women's basketball. And next year, if it all coalesces... Because, of course, freshmen don't necessarily have the same impact in the women's game as they do in the, in the men's game. You're looking at a really good team next year. I'd love to see how they schedule, too. Like, who does Brenda Freeze go out and get? I don't know, Thomas, if you know anything about that at this point. But, I mean, if they can schedule heavy and they're going to schedule heavy, I'd like to see them do that. 
see how great they can test themselves. Just, do you have any thoughts on the women's team? Because you covered them before. Um, yeah, I wasn't able to. I watched probably most of the second half. I had some other things I had to do, but I think it just kind of, you know, was microcosm of Maryland's whole season is that they were, when they were, you know, locked in, they were really, really good, but could never be at that same level for a full, you know, as Britta Freeze likes to say, you know, play for a full 40 minutes. I mean, you see, you know, the Shanice Lewis steal buzzer be at the end of the third, you know, most teams playing at home. That's a big, you know, motivator. They're going to carry it out, you know, step on UCLA's throats to start the fourth. And Maryland just didn't do that. When you factor in the missed free throws and the fact that, you know, Maryland just kept getting crushed on the offensive glass, it's kind of a big, you know, recipe for a loss. And the thing is, too, is, you know, just kind of reading some of the, people covering game on a national level like UCLA even though they didn't have a star like Serena UNESCO for Oregon or Kelsey for Washington this is not a traditional six seed they started the year nine and nine they're now 13 and three in their last 16 games so they get in a six seed because of you know the body of work but if you had you know put them as a seed based on how they were playing in the tournament, they probably would not be a six. And I guess hitting next year, the biggest thing, at least, you know, if I was, you know, watching covering the team again, is how do they get to that level of being consistent and playing to their highest point? Because Brenna Friesen said, you know, this team is battle-tested, but I don't know if it's the kind of battles you want. You know, they were in battles against a lot of teams that, frankly, weren't as good as them, kind of given the hope that they can, you know, beat Maryland and they – you know, Maryland would just kind of have to out-talent them or, you know, escape at the end, whereas, you know, the battles you would think a team that, you know, wants to contend with level Maryland does is, you know, you play tough teams in the non-conference schedule and see, you know, that's what it takes to, you know, beat a South Carolina, a UConn, you know, Mississippi State. So in terms of scheduling, I mean, I don't know. I think they can definitely schedule better. I know Maryland has like a weird – you know, they end finals later, so that can be a thing for the non-conference. But even then, like, I think this year, too, they got kind of unlucky with some of the teams they thought were going to be good, weren't as good. But you don't need to play, you know, Coppin State, Loyola, UMBC every year. Maybe play one or two. and Because it's not like, you know, this isn't – the East Coast isn't great for women's basketball. There's not like there aren't mid-majors who you can't – you know, go out. you can go out and play, you know – Buffalo. I mean, Princeton's in the NCAA tournament almost every year. I mean, even the team they played in the first round, Radford, that's a top 100 RPI team. I mean, there are teams like that you can find, even if you can't get the best of the best, you can continue to find teams that have that goal of winning their conference and, you know, going to the NCAA tournament that kind of have the same mindset that Maryland has, and they don't play a ton of teams like that, at least before Big Ten playing. That's a good point. I mean, sometimes they do schedule really well, but then it's the balance of that. I mean, they went into South Carolina and destroyed them, and South Carolina did make the Sweet 16 this year. But So it is an unfortunate end for the women, but it definitely feels like the start of something rather than the end. Uh, football, there are football things we need to talk about, and I believe spring practice started, and Maryland had its pro day. So, Thomas, what happened in both of these things? I have not been thinking about football recently, and uh, it's probably a good thing for my own health. Yeah, I mean, I just started thinking about football again the other day because, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's spring practice time. Um, you know, we're still a long way from finding out really anything about anything with Maryland as far as the 2019 team is concerned because there are no 
none of the recruits enrolled early. And so this is just all the, you know, sophomores and juniors and seniors from this year's, you know, or freshmen, sophomores, juniors from this year's team. But, you know, and also two of the grad transfers, Josh Jackson and Tyler Mabry, like they're still at their other schools. So it's not anything close to the full group, but, you know, we're, we're getting a little sense of it. Um, you know, Loxley saying good things. I think really just the interesting things of note are that Sean Savoy, who was a wide receiver at Virginia Tech and transferred in, uh, he was actually switched over to corner when he came in. Tino and that's where he's too. Yeah, and that's where he's been uh, lining up. And Kasim Hill, you know, Kasim Hill's still around. Loxley just by that? No, I think you know, for for him, he definitely he's still in class and so he's gonna go through that. Um I think it's you know, he's still in position to weigh his options and see, you know, whether he feels like he would be a fit in the offense. Um so I don't I'm not really surprised that that he's still around. I think there will be a few defections at the end of spring practice because Maryland is a couple scholarships over right now. I have them three over. Um, they might actually just be two over, but there, you know, there are probably going to be some, you know, defections. Some guys will lose battles in the spring and realize, you know, there's no playing time left for me, and you know, go elsewhere for the summer. We can see that. And what about pro day? Because this also happened the day we were recording. Yeah, so Pro Day was this morning, and that's that's why we're recording so late after all the basketball stuff. Um, Pro Day was fun. It was you know it's always nice when when they let you in Cole Fieldhouse. Uh, Ty Johnson, I think, is is really the big story from Pro Day because he didn't get a combine invite. You know, he, he got a chance to talk to scouts and do some things at the East West Shrine Bowl, but you know, he, I think he ended up turning a lot of heads. Most of the chatter has been about him. And his his forty time pro day forties, there's they're not officially timed. Everyone kind of keeps their own time, and like a few of the the reporters that were there as well had their own time. And everyone's like, I'm probably not accurate to the hundredth of a second, but the the consensus is basically that he's sub four four, which would make him faster than any running back at, at the combine, and that's big. That is definitely notable um just the rest of his workout every you know he tested well pretty much all around he he tightened up a little bit at the end of his second 40 but nothing nothing really serious there i think he probably had the best day darnell savage looked like he was good in positional drills he tested so well at the combine that he didn't need to do any any of that again um trey watson i think he had an okay day testing but his biggest strength is his stats and his game tape. And I think that's, that's what a lot of scouts will be saying about him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was about to say something very cliched, which is you can't teach speed. And I said it anyway, but isn't that the first thing you think of when you think like, Oh, 40, he's really fast. You could kind of do anything. Like you could get him in even as like a kick returner. If you wanted to, if people still try to return kicks in the NFL anymore. Yeah, I mean, for Ty, as long as they have kickoffs in the NFL, I think and that's punts. probably his. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like that's probably his 
best path um, because he showed at Maryland. He's a home run hitting running back, but he wasn't always consistent. You know, he but would he have home run hitter on special teams. Yeah, absolutely. And like special teams is where you put those home run hitters. And he played other other spots on special teams too. Like he was on punt block, and he was on you know the um you know punt punt. He was on the punt team. So like he's he's been all over the place. I think he'll at least get a spot. I don't know if he he worked his way into like probably someone's sixth or seventh round, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised at this point. Well, he could definitely be UDFA that someone stashes and gets a lot of value out of. Yeah, for until today, I thought that was his ceiling. Well, that's good for him because he 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 was oh, such a home run hitter, and he, you wondered like what could happen if he settled down and got that game to coalesce. It just hasn't happened, but maybe it coalesces in the NFL. Who will see? We still think Darnell Savage is probably the highest ceiling in terms of where they could go in the draft second day because it's Maryland safeties and apparently they all go on the second day now. Yeah, I mean, Savage is the only one who's 100% definitely going to be drafted, but I've thought for a while that Watson was going to end up drafted and then just this group of Derwin Gray, Byron Cowart, Damian Prince, Jesse Annabonum, Ty Johnson, like they're all iffy whether or not they get drafted it really depends on you know just whether you feel like they fit your team and that's an answer that i don't have because i'm not a scout i would have no idea but you can ask people on twitter because they'll have answers for you they'll always have answers they will always particularly draft twitter they have an answer on every player even though i'm not sure how many people actually watched maryland football besides you know us i don't know why you do that if you weren't you know well Unless you want to see Ohio State lose. Other than that, maybe you haven't watched a lot of Maryland football. Understandably so. Not a lot of reasons to watch it. Non-revenue sports. Let's get quickly on those, Thomas. Uh, lots of things have happened since we last recorded. And to be fair to the non-rev sports, we've been focused on basketball. But this is their time to shine now. So what's happened? Uh, lacrosse is still winning on both sides because that's that's what they do. Um, I believe tonight... I believe tonight we're recording this Wednesday afternoon. Princeton is playing Maryland, and that game's on FS1 for reasons I can't give you an answer for. But there you go, if you want to watch it. Yeah, it's. The, I mean, it's the first uh, women's lacrosse game on FS1, so it's, you know, for, for, for you it might be like, what the hell, why? And for for them, it's history. So you know, as as you will. Um, maybe Skip Bayless. We'll talk about them on Undisputed tomorrow. God uh, help us if that does I happen. Can't... Honestly, I think that would be the funniest thing ever. That would be the actually, you know what? We need to see that. Would that would be incredible. <laughs> it would be the best. I need ever. I need his Megan Taylor takes because she just won defensive player of the week for the fourth straight week and is now she, her save percentage is 585 and no one is better in the country than 537. So she's almost 10% better than any other goalie in the country right now. I like your segue there. That was impressive. Yeah. And so I just need Skip to say if she has that, uh, I don't know. Clutch gene? The, the <laughs> clutch gene mamba mentality or whatever. Well, and or he's, he's more consistent than that turkey vulture that almost killed Stephen A. Smith. Yes. That turkey vulture is now my favorite turkey vulture in the history of turkey vultures, by the way. 
Yeah, and then the men's team sort of dispatched uh, UNC. Logan Wisnowskis had four goals, four assists. He's got 46 points in nine games. He had 50 points all of last season. That seems and he was, good. And 50 points is good. So, you know, he's he's really stepped up his game, as have a couple different players on that team. So we should be getting they, the get, they get number one. Yeah, they get Penn State this weekend. That's a Sunday night game. Penn State's number one in the country. I think. Uh, sorry, I almost vomited. I, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, well, it's Maryland. It's Maryland men's lacrosse when they play a team that, you know, like Ohio State, who wasn't good at lacrosse until maybe they were, and then they destroy them. I mean, that's the what the women's team does, but the men's team does it too. Yeah, especially at home. Yeah. So, uh, good luck, Penn State. You're still not better than Maryland lacrosse. And I don't have as good things to say about baseball and softball. They both got swept by pretty good teams over the weekend. Uh, softball, a little bit more encouraging right now. Um, baseball's about to start Big Ten play. Um, probably the last bit of news here is that Yosef Hamida finished sixth in the country um, as as the heavyweight, so he is an All-American second straight year. So you mean Maryland's wrestling program? He is Maryland's wrestling program, yes. And now he's about to graduate. So what does Maryland have left? Nothing. They don't even have a coach right now. True. Like, no one who's left on after this year's senior class has ever been to an NCAA tournament as an individual. So that's, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, uh-huh. Also, better news, uh, gymnastics is 28th in the country going into the NCAA tournament, which means if you're top 28, you get to avoid a cert, like a play-in round because they have um, top 36 get in the tournament, top 28 avoid the play-in round. So that's that was a goal that they set at the start of the season, and they they accomplished it so that you know so that's there good for them mm-hmm. good for them did i miss anything i don't think we did nothing really big yeah and and this was a week of of a lot of big things yes so we'll we'll try to wrap up some of these things as we said we'll we'll give you updates on the all the basketball news all other pieces of news that we've got but the podcast as it comes this time of year with less focus on football and basketball it's not where we're ramping down completely but the podcast will be a little bit more infrequent because at a point i can't say more than lacrosse than i've already said i don't want to you know pretend to more know more about certain subjects than i actually do so anyway justin did i miss anything that you wanted to say or no it's just Biggest game, I think Maryland this week, Maryland men's lacrosse, Maryland Penn State, if you're in the area, should be a fun game to watch. If you're not watching March Madness at that point. It'll be Sunday I mean, it's night, Sunday, so. Sunday night. It might be, I'm not sure what the TV schedule is. It might be over. I think it's on BTN. I think they schedule so. the games early on Sunday so that it would be over. Let me take yeah, a look. See? Usually. College across at 7 o'clock. The men's, the final game of the Elite Eight should be over. Maybe. Or wrapping up when, you know, CBS, you know, continues to add their moments to the one shining Zion clip because, you know, it's too big to just fit in one shining moment. Oh, of course. I did forget one thing that I should have mentioned. Of course, it comes at the end of the show. Testudo Times Bracket Challenge. Yes. Almost really forgot about that. 
Uh, Brandon and uh, Slim right now have 55 points, and they are leading the way as we speak. Last year, I finished, like, second, and this year, I am right now 30th with 48 points. It was just a matter of, did you get your eight, nine seeds right? And that's kind of the way this tournament's gone. A lot of blowouts, a lot of chalk, but most people didn't get the right combination of eight, nine seeds, and ten seeds. I think we got a lot of those wrong. Somebody still has a perfect bracket. I'm surprised we haven't seen a profile on that person yet. I think... I think that I, I've I've seen one though. So it, it's this yeah. There's been it's a this few. neuro neurophysicist or neuropsychologist. Of course. In in Ohio. In Ohio. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm not surprised that it's somebody. Again, neurophysicist, neuropsychologist. That that seems right. However, probably again with the tournament, dumb luck. So where are you, Thomas? Yeah, of course it is. Uh, I'm not good, but I have all my top team still left so we'll see i am uh, hoping that uh well all of my crazy plays i didn't really have many i think auburn beating kansas was the one that i, I not even like it was a big limb but uh i think my final four was duke michigan and kentucky and tennessee so i don't know how well that's going to play out but i mean everyone's bracket would have been destroyed if duke had lost so Unless you pick Michigan State, but I couldn't do that reasonably because, you know, I'm not allowed to. You can't really pick the Big Ten team that you don't like. I mean, Michigan's at least somewhat likable. Somewhat. Somewhat. But, I mean, Michigan's proven it in the tournament the last couple of years that they are going to win these games. Michigan State, not as much. So, anyway. At least it wasn't Liberty. Anyway, that is the end of this show. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back soon with non-rev sports and updates on the bracket challenge. I think that's what we're left with. Unless something else crazy happens, and maybe it does. It's Maryland sports. But until then, of course, no turns.